Welcome to the Lenten Series podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. We are thrilled to be able to join you in this season of reflection and repentance as we make our way to the commemoration of the crucifixion and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are joined in this season by some of Pittsburgh's most well-known and influential pastors who will be leading us on one of the Psalms each week. You can find more messages like this to aid in your Lenten and faith experience on our website, ccgf.org, or wherever you find your podcast. You can also keep up with Christ Church on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Here is this week's Lenten message. Grace and peace to you. Hey, it's a thrill for me to honestly, thrill for me to be here to get the opportunity to open up the Word of God to all of you. You know, I'm looking at this group of people and I see some young and old alike, and that's good. It really is. I remember a man came to me once and said, you know, Ed, life is like a football game. The first quarter of life goes from zero to 20 years old. Second quarter of life goes from 20 to 40 years old. Third quarter of life goes from 40 to 60 years old. And then the last quarter, the fourth quarter, goes from 60 until you see Jesus face to face. I said that once in a sanctuary similar to this one, and a gentleman stood up and said, Pastor Ed, I think I am living life in the two-minute warning. Everybody howled. Then this other guy jumped up and said, Pastor Ed, I'm a cancer survivor. I'm living life in overtime. And I love that. You know, I didn't know, uh, yeah, that's, that's life. I didn't know just a few, you know, that I was living in a two-minute warning. Ten days ago, I had some pain. I went to my cardiologist, and he looked at me, he talked to me. Next thing I know, I'm at the hospital. I'm laying on a table, and he casts me, and he finds two, two blockages, puts in two stents, and then looks at me and said, you know, you dodged the bullet here, son. You really, really were in a two-minute warning. So I'm standing here tonight. I'm so thankful and grateful for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thankful that he allowed me to to dodge that bullet. I'm so thankful that he gave me some new plumbing and I'm here today and I'm able to serve him some more, if you will. And I'm also grateful. And th- yeah, praise the Lord for that. So I'm preaching to you with, a, with appreciation of, 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 of life. I really am. And we're going to talk about the effectiveness of praise, the effectiveness of praise. My son just read Psalm 154. It did that very well. And the psalm, as we're going to look into it, is really going to help us understand what praise is all about. But before we do that, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you and praise you for who you are. And I just want to ask right now that you'd forgive me and cleanse me of any sin and that you would fill me with your spirit, that you'd speak through me to your people. And we as your people, we would not just be hearers of this word, but we would be doers of it. And you wouldn't just stir us, but that you would change us. For Lord, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would truly teach tonight, that you would speak to us, and Jesus would be high and lifted up. For Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen and amen. Do you know that a Christian who doesn't have an effective prayer life cannot live an effective Christian life? Let me say that again. A Christian who does not have an effective prayer life cannot live an effective Christian life. What I just said is absolutely true. So it's, it's essential that we understand one thing about prayer tonight so that we can be effective. In order to have an effective prayer life, 
we need to understand what it means to praise. Praise. Because praise is important because when you praise God, God's presence and power can be experienced and demonstrated. Let me give you an illustration. Never forget this time I got a phone call from my son Joshua. He was staying overnight at a friend's house. Get the phone call, pick up the phone, and there's this raspy voice on the other end. And it says, Dad, come get me. I've got to go to the hospital. So as soon as, soon as I hung up the phone, Tammy and I jumped in the car and we started driving over to that house. Because our son, even though he's a teenager, he really suffered, suffered greatly with, with a chronic kidney stones. Chronic, and I say chronic, I mean chronic kidney stones. So when we finally got there, he was green. He was really sick. We put him in the car. We drove him as quick as we could to the hospital. They gave us a room. We're sitting in the room. It felt like for a decade. And there we sat. And my son was in great pain. And he had already vomited a number of times. And I'm praying without ceasing under my breath for my son. Meanwhile, Tammy's wiping the sweat off his forehead. And then Tammy begins to sing the name of Jesus. And as she began to sing the name of Jesus over our son, I joined in. And as we sang, all of a sudden my son, who was in excruciating pain, settled right down. And then as we continued to worship and lift up the Lord Jesus, all of a sudden my son, the pain left his body and he fell asleep. I've told that story and people have come to me, you know, Pastor Ed, I think what happened really is that he passed the stone. And I tell those folks, I said, no, because when the doctors showed up, the stone hadn't been passed. It's not what happened. Others will say, you know, Pastor Ed, maybe that was coincidental. I mean, you just happened to be praying and praising and, and what really happened is that he just, his body just gave out. He was totally exhausted and he fell asleep. What I say to those people is this. I say, all I know is this, my friend. From the scriptures and from my own experience, when you stop praying and you stop praising God, those coincidences stop happening. Now, that's the truth. What I've learned from the scriptures and my own experience, when you begin to praise God, God's presence and power can be experienced and demonstrated. And that's why I chose tonight to really preach from Psalm 150. I really did tonight because I thought that, that we need to understand what it means to praise God because it's so important. So what we're going to do, we're going to look at what praise is, and then we're going to look at why we praise, then we're going to look at how we're to praise. So let's get started. Let's get, get right into it with what is praise. We're going to define it. We're going to help us understand what's it mean to praise God. I've learned over the years that there are a lot of misconceptions about what praise is. Like many biblical terms, the term praise is so loosely understood, it's often misunderstood. That's why I'm choosing to teach from 150, Psalm 150, because it's a historical, historically known as the doxology psalm, because it expresses high praise to God. Thirteen times the psalmist uses the word praise in our passage. Thirteen times. So let's look, first of all, at the passage. Then we're going to look at the actual word praise itself to get a clear definition, a biblical definition of what praise is. So let's get started. Let's look right at the, right at the passage. Verse one says this, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary. Every time the psalmist uses the word praise in the psalm, 
He uses the Hebrew word halah. Halah is where we get the, our English word hallelujah from. It means to rave, boast, and celebrate. Can you say that with me? It means to rave, boast, and celebrate. Say it again. It means to rave, boast, and celebrate. Celebrate what? Look at verse 2. Praise him for his acts of power. So we're to rave and boast and celebrate what God has done. His acts of power. Verse 2. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. In other words, we're to rave, boast, and celebrate who God is. So what we've learned so far, we need to praise God for who he is and what he's done. Can you say that with me? Who he is and what he's done. And we're to rave, we're to boast, we're to celebrate who he is and what he's done. Then in the rest of the psalm, it tells us this, verses 3, 4, and 5, which has already been read, read for us. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Verse 4, praise him with the tremble and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Verse 5, praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with the resounding cymbals. I want you to notice that there in the sanctuary, they were not silent. They were not silent. They were intentionally active. So now we've looked at the passage, we've understood that, we've understood we're to praise God for who he is, what he's done, we're to be active in doing that, we're to proclaim that. Now let's look at the word itself, the word praise. The word praise, in the English, there's only one word, praise. In the Hebrew, or in the Bible, in the Hebrew language, there are seven words. I've given you a handout. Pull that handout now. Everybody got that handout? Pull that out. It's going to really help you once you leave here. If you really want to learn how to praise the Lord, especially in the beginning of your prayer. That's so important. So as you're, as you're looking at this with me, I've given you some verses where those, those words can be found as well. But let's look at the word halah. We've already said halah means, it's where we get our word hallelujah from, but it also means what? To rave and celebrate. Second word, yada which is to praise by extending and lifting the hands. When you see people in a sanctuary doing this, that is biblical. Yada, you're praising God openly, just like this. Third word is toda. Toda, which means extending your hands in thanksgiving in anticipation of receiving something that you don't yet possess. Instead of raising your hands flat like this towards God, you turn them in as you're going to receive something. You ever see people standing there like this and praising God? What they're saying to God, there's something that you have for me, I'm anticipating it. I'm looking for it. God, I've been praying about it. And you're praising God this way. That's a biblical thing to do. And that's what God teaches us. And then the fourth word is shabak, which means to praise with a loud voice. You ever heard anybody in a sanctuary go amen or respond? They're shabaking. Kind of sounds like bread, doesn't it? Shabaking, right? And then there's number, word number five, barak, which means to kneel down and bless God as an act of adoration. I love it that we have kneelers. You can kneel down. In my, in my staff, when, I'm, when we're worshiping together, there's certain staff members that will literally kneel during our, our praise time. That's a biblical thing to do. That's an act of praise and worship to God. Number six, zamar, which means to praise God through the playing of musical instruments. Amen and amen, huh? All these folks up here gifted, using their gifts to praise our Lord. Amen. Number seven, last but not least, tehillah. 
It means to sing or chant either in a structured form, such as a hymn or worship song, or in a spontaneous, non-structured fashion, making up words and the melody in the spirit as you praise. I believe a lot of the songs that we sing, a lot of hymns that we sing, were, were birthed out of that kind of praise. Do you notice that every time we find the word praise used in scripture, it is never passive? It's always active. It is always intentional and active. And it can be done publicly and privately. And it can be done in a variety of different ways. You can get your whole body involved, your head, your heart, your hands. And you can worship and you can praise God in so many different ways. So what is praise? Let's define it now. We've looked at the Bible, we looked at our passage, we looked at the words itself. Let me give you a very simple definition of praise. Praise is this. It is the intentional activity of proclaiming who God is and what he's done. Can you say that with me? It is the intentional activity of proclaiming who God is and what he's done. I love what Bishop Garlington said last week. He said there's only a few times in all of scripture that you find God telling us to be silent. I looked up this week, how many times did God tell us to praise him? Three, over 350 times in the Old Testament and the New Testament, God is telling us to praise him. And what did we just say what it was? We just said it means to be actively involved, proclaiming with everything we have who he is and what he's done. That's what it means to praise. That's an act of our worship to our Lord. Amen. That's, to me, that's absolutely exciting. Of course, I'm... Whatever. Every time when we see this in the scripture, every time we are never, ever to be the audience. He is the audience. When these folks are up here on this, on this stage, it is not a concert. That is not, we are not to watch them. We're not, they're just using their gifts to do what? To bring all of us, all of us to be involved in what? Praising God, proclaiming who he is and what he has done. That's what it means. Biblically speaking, that's what we're to do. We're all involved in the service. We're never to be spectators. Ever. Ever spectate. You're always to be involved in it. These guys are just leading us. And what I love about it, we, we, need to, we, we, get to be part, we get to be part of it. We get to participate. We get to be active. We get to be able to do that together as the body of Christ. And God does stuff when his body begins to do that. And I'll tell you about that in a minute. So we're here to proclaim God. We're here to proclaim who he is and what he's done. Now that we've defined what praise is, let's look at why we praise. We praise God because he commanded it. In our passage, 13 times the word halal is used. Every time it is written, it's written in the imperative. That means it's a commandment. And when God commands his people to praise, nobody's exempt. Nobody. I want you to know that God doesn't command us to praise God because he's needy or because he's an egotistical maniac. No, that's not why we praise him. No, God doesn't need our praise. He knows who he is. He knows what he's done. We're the ones who forget who he is and what he's done. We're the ones. So God commands us, not for his sake, but for our sake, to praise him, to remember who he is, remember what he's done. That's why we praise him. 
It's for us. It's for our sake. Let me give you an illustration. I've been in ministry for a long, long time. Nathan said 35 years, and that's true, more than that. But I'm going to say this. I've learned over 35 years that most Christians do not have a prayer life. Oh, I'm not saying Christians don't pray. They just don't have a prayer life. They don't pray consistently until they're in a crisis. When they're in a crisis, all of a sudden now they'll really begin to pray. And the problem with that is that they're throwing up hallelujah prayers because they have nowhere else to turn, so they start praying. And you know what? It's good that Christians begin to pray, even then. But they're vulnerable. Why are they vulnerable? They're vulnerable because when you're in a crisis, your problem is what you focus on. And when you, problem, when you focus on your problem, what we have a tendency to do is begin to tell God what we need. And we'll even go as far as telling God what should be done. And when you do that, you are not seeking his face. You are seeking his hand. And you begin to treat God like he's a vending machine. You're throwing in your coins, and you push your buttons, you pull the lever to get out what you want. And those prayers are always selfish and self-driven. And they lead Christians to tremendous disappointment. Why? Because they're asking for their will to be done rather than God's will to be done. And that's why it becomes ineffective. Do you hear me? Say something. Do you hear me? you got to hear this because that happens to so many. Pastor Craig will tell you and I will tell you that we counsel so many people that have prayed to God and he didn't give them what they wanted. So they walk away from God all disturbed and disgusted and angry. And the point is, they never were even asking God what they wanted. Do you get what I'm saying to you? They're just trying to use God as a genie telling him what to do. Instead of seeking his face, God, what will you do? What must happen? What are you asking me to do? Calling me to do something so that I can be in that position where I can hear your voice. Amen? Amen. Stay away from that, folks. Learn to pray consistently. Learn to praise, especially in the beginning, beginning of your, of your prayer. Because that other kind of prayer is ineffective. This is the effective type of prayer. Jesus taught us this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. What's he teaching us? First, to what? Praise God. Remember who he is and what he's done. And then later, pray about your needs and your problems or your wants or whatever you're asking God for. But you always begin. And what happens is that so, much, so many of us, we, we gaze at our problems and glance at God. I call it the gaze and glance principle. This is what Jesus taught. He didn't teach this. He didn't teach us to start out by focusing on our problem and then glancing over at God. Because when you focus on your problem, your problem's really going to get big in your mind and your heart. And that's all you're going to think about. And it's going to dominate your prayer. And it's going to overwhelm you. And then when you look at God and you remember him, he seems really small in comparison to this huge problem you got. So that next, next thing you know you're doing, you're praying not in faith, you're praying doubting, questioning, overwhelmed. And that prayer just isn't effective. Do you understand this? So Jesus says, no, don't, no, no, no. You gaze at God, because when you gaze at God and then you glance at your problem, God all of a sudden looms big in your mind 
And you begin to remember who he is and what he's done. And then when you glance at your, pro- at your problem, your problem seems small in comparison to how great and how mighty, how magnificent, how all-knowing, all-present, and all-powerful, how your God is sovereign. And the next thing you know, you're not praying with anxiety. You're praying with confidence. You're praying with absolutely boldness. And you're not praying overwhelmed anymore. You begin to pray with anticipation, expectation, and power because you're focused on God and your problems seem small in comparison to how great and big your God is. Amen? That's why God tells us to pray that way. To focus our attention upon him. And you begin with praise. Man, I got some energy tonight, man. I should have got that plumbing before, years ago. Praise the Lord. Because you focus on God, great stuff starts happening. Let me tell you that. He commands us not for his sake, man. He commands us for ours. Second reason why he commands. He commands us because God deserves our praise. There is nothing or no one who is more worthy than God to be praised. No one. For God is worthy to be praised not only for who he is, but for what he's done. For God has done for us what no one else could have ever done. He sacrificed himself so that each one of us who believe upon him can escape the eternal suffering that we are headed towards. There's no one who deserves praise more than our God. Third, God delivers us in praise. He delivers us in praise. I'm going to give you two illustrations. One from the Old, the other from the New Testament. In the Old Testament, remember Jonah? Jonah's rebelling against God, gets swallowed up by the big fish. And there he is, and he's in the middle, he's in the belly of that fish. And what's he do? He repents. And most preachers focus on him repenting. And he did repent, but he also praised God. He stopped pouting and started praising God, and God delivered him. Look at this. In in John, I'm sorry, Jonah chapter 2, verses 9 through 10, it says this. But I, Jonah with shouts of great praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed, and I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Verse 10, and the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry dry land. Jonah, without question, repented, but he also began to praise God instead of pouting, and next thing you know, God delivered him. Over in the book of, of the New Testament, You find another illustration. Paul and Silas, they're arrested, they're in jail, and they begin to pray and they begin to sing praises. And God manifests himself when they begin to praise God. As they're praising God, all of a sudden the house comes down. I mean, God brings the house down. Look at it says in Acts chapter 16, 25 and 26. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. And God delivered Paul and Silas and everybody else in the jail that night because, yes, they prayed, but they began to praise God and God delivered them. Now, listen, I can't explain it all, but I can connect the dots. And hopefully you can as well. Throughout the scripture, there is a connection between when his people begin to praise him and when he delivers, rescues, and saves. 
It's all through the Old Testament and New Testament. You find when his people begin to praise him, that's when they begin to see God do things like deliverance, rescuing people, saving people, stepping in. David helps us understand how this works. In Psalm 22, verse 3, Psalm 22, verse 3, it says this. God is enthroned by, other translations, he inhabits the praises of his people. The word enthroned, inhabits, takes on the idea that God shows up. Inhabits and enthrones, he shows up. What do you mean, Pastor Ed, about God showing up? Well, let me tell you, first of all, what David did not mean, and let me tell you what David meant. He is not referring to God's omnipresent, that God is everywhere all the time. God is everywhere all the time, regardless of whether we praise him or not. He wasn't referring to that. Second, he's not referring to you and I being born again of the Spirit. The moment we asked Jesus Christ to be our Savior, we were born again of the Spirit. The Spirit of God took up residence in us. He inhabits us, right? We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He is not referring to that. So what is David referring to? He's referring to the Spirit of God or God's presence being manifested. Presently being manifested so that you can experience his presence. So his, his, his presence is a reality to you. That's what David is saying here. So if you want to know, or if you want to experience the presence of God, you want to know where he is, what you do is you begin to thank him. You begin to praise him. I love what one preacher said. He said it this way. Praise is God's address. Praise is, God, praise is where God lives. He lives in, when we get to heaven, what's happening? Say it. They're praising God all the time. Praise, praise. That's where he lives. You want to experience God? You want him to show up? You want him there? You show up where he is. You begin to praise him. You begin to thank him. He shows up. I believe he's here right now. I believe he's going to do stuff. If we will really do what he's asking us to do. So, so that's why. Why? Because God commands it. God deserves it. God delivers in it. And God is present. So let me ask this. What's the last question? How do we do this, Pastor Ed? Well, Psalm 150 tells us. We know about what we're to do in the sanctuary. I love Craig in the beginning telling us, hey, come on, wait a minute. Let's get, let's get loud about this thing. And he, talk, he talked about verses 3 and 5. Then we looked at the words themselves tonight. And we looked at what the Bible says about praise. And then it tells us we can praise God with our minds. We can praise God with our voice. We can praise God with our hands, our feet, instruments. We can praise God in a variety of ways. But in the beginning of the sermon, I told you that an effective Christian, a, a Christian who does not have an effective prayer life cannot be an effective Christian, cannot live a Christian life, an effective Christian life. So in order to be an effective Christian, you've got to have an effective prayer life. And, the, and the, one of the ingredients to having a, an effective prayer life is to praise. Praise God in the beginning. So tonight I've chose tonight to give you an illustration to help you understand what this looks like. I'm going to demonstrate it for you. And I'm going to ask that the band comes again and let me share with you about what I mean. Tammy and I have learned over the years to pray the word of God. And we pray the word of God because a lot of times when you're thinking about who God is and what is done, what most of us do, we learn a few things about who God is. And we just keep saying them over and over and over again. 
But if you begin to read the word of God and you pray the word of God, all of a sudden you begin to really understand what God says about himself. Instead of making God up in your own mind, you begin to tell God who he is from his own word. But also, the word of God, the Bible says that the truth shall what? Set you free. And when you begin to pray the truth, it can set you free. But also in the Bible, it says that the moment we were born again of the Spirit, I mean, born again of Christ, we were born again of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God lives within you. And the Bible says, in order to worship, you need to worship in by what? By the Spirit and truth. When you begin to really pray in the Spirit, and you begin to pray back the Word of God, it is dynamic. Because you are in the Spirit and you're speaking the truth. And God is powerful in it. Are you with me? Really, are you really here tonight? Because if you want God to show, we need God in our world today. We need him to bust in and bust through. He needs to do that. Without question, that needs to happen. The problem is we don't, we come to church, we come to church, we walk back out, and nothing really changes. How it changes is you and I honestly each day learning what I'm saying to you. That's why I gave you that sheet of paper tonight. Take that home. Listen, I can't sing a lick. I can't play an instrument. I can't do anything. But what I can do is pray. So I get the word out. I start praying it. And then all of a sudden, the spirit starts coming. And I play some music or whatever. And then the presence of God shows up and when he shows up guys it quenches the deepest thirst you've ever had in your life don't you want that i'm serious don't you want that you know how bad you got to want this to really experience it i remember a guy was following a monk for many many because this monk really had a unbelievable sense of god's presence around him it's a true story and his kids are following him around, following him around. Finally, the monk is out bathing in a, in a river. And the kid comes out into the river. And he's with the monk. And he says, monk, I want to have what you have. I want Jesus like you have Jesus. And that monk grabbed that kid, threw him under the water, and stuck him under that water until that kid, kid could, hardly take, could hardly hold his breath again. Let him up out of that water. And that kid... <laughs> Why'd you do that? He said, when you want Jesus like you want that air, you'll have what I have. Do you really want that? Do you really want him? We're going to give you that opportunity tonight. You ready? I've asked these folks to lead you in worship. They're going to just sing a song and you just sing it with them. Then I'm going to throw up verses uh, from Psalm 103 and I'm going to begin to pray those verses and you listen you pray with me and we're going to remember who God is then Brad's going to come right back up after I'm done praying and we're going to sing again and you just praise God you worship him and you begin to talk to him and we'll see how God shows up amen now you can you can Stand, you can sit, you can kneel, whatever you'd like to do. But here we go. We're going to look into Psalm 103 and we're going to pray from verse 2. Father, we praise you. Praise the Lord, my soul. Forget not all your benefits. Oh, Lord God, we thank you and we praise you for your benefits. 
what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you've forgiven of, of our sins. We are children of the living God. We benefit. We know that heaven is going to be our home. We know now that we can come boldly before your throne and you hear us when we pray in the name of Jesus because we're part of the family of God. We can go on and on and on talking about your benefits, but we praise you and we thank you for them. And verse 3 is another benefit. Who forgives, you forgive us of all our sins. We thank you for that. We thank you that you are our healer. You heal us of all our diseases. And someday when we stand before you, you will give us a brand new body. And we will no longer be in pain. We'll no longer have to worry about disease. We thank you and praise you for that benefit. We thank you and praise you in verse 4 that you are our redeemer. You've taken us from the pit and you crown us. We are part of your royal priesthood. We are part of your priesthood, Lord Jesus, and we thank you that you crown us. That you, your love, your love passes all understanding. It has no strings attached to it. It's unconditional and your compassion pursues us. In verse 5, you satisfy us with good things. You are a good father. You're a good, good father. You are a provider. We are the richest people in the world. And we thank you and we praise you for what you've given to us. We thank you that you renewed our strength. When you renew us and the joy of the Lord is our strength. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you that you are righteous and you are just. And you are the champion of the oppressed. Those of us who are oppressed, oh God, we come to you and we ask that you would set us free, that you would deliver us, and we praise you and thank you that you are the deliverer. And we praise you and we thank you that you have made known the ways to, of Moses, to Moses, and you made the ways to us, your ways, known to us. For you've given us your word. You've given us your word. You've given us where we can find wisdom from the word of God, guidance and instruction. We thank you and praise you that you've made your ways known to us. And we know that you can, we can pray to you and the spirit of God will lead us and guide us and direct us. You are the light onto our path and we give you all praise. Lord, we thank you that you are compassionate towards us and you're full of grace. And we thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that you are slow to anger. You're abounding in love. Verse 9, and you will not always accuse, and you will not harbor your anger forever towards us. We thank you that now we know that we are not to be accused, that we are part of the brethren, and yet you have already no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and we praise your name for that. In verse 10, we thank you and praise you that you do not treat us as our sins deserve. And you do not repay us according to our sin. We thank you and praise you for that benefit. We thank you that you are the high God. High above the heavens, above all earth. You are the sovereign God. You're in control of all things. Even though we see what's going on in the world and we wonder sometimes. We do not doubt or question who you are. We see what man is doing. We see what's going on. But we know that you are sovereign. And that your love covers a multitude of sin. And we're not to fear you. We're to respect you. We're to honor you. But we are children of God. So you cast out all fear. We can come to you boldly and honestly. And you remember our sin no more. As far as the east is from the west, we praise you. We thank you. And tonight, we want to worship you. And God, as we worship you, we remember who you are and what you've done. Lord, we lift up our request. We lift up what's going on in our lives. 
meet us as you can only meet us for your praise and your thanks. And all the people began to praise their God.